Well, guys, it uh, it turns out that AOC wasn't in the Capitol at this this entire time here. But uh, the real question that comes along with this, of course, is did she hold on to her subway sandwich the whole time? In other news, looking at it, it looks like members of both parties are trying to get members of the opposite parties removed from the House, which is nothing new. Going all the way back to the founders and Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, we all know that story already, so we'll talk a bit about that. The SEC is hunting for fraud in social media because social media got the better of the people who pay the SEC. And Kyle Rittenhouse is back in the news because he can never do anything right for anybody. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jay Edgar. This is Contemporary. We've got some stuff to get to today. We've got some stuff to talk about here. I think we might be starting to move into that slowdown of the news because everyone wants uh, to defend Beijing Biden and make sure nothing that he says, does, or otherwise is in the news. Plus, we can't really have anything major and breaking going on coming into next week because, hey, it's impeachment mania coming up next week. So we'll talk a bunch about that. I'm sure that's going to be top billing throughout the rest of the week next week and probably for the next six months. Anything they can do to try and keep the Donald back in the headlines here. But before we get into any of the news that we do have for the day, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs once we are back up off the ground. Yes, we are being rebuilt right now from the ground up top to bottom. Everything is coming through here. I've actually got to reach out to the RRC and make sure that he's got a bio that he wants to put on there because I know he doesn't use a lot of Discord. So I'll reach out to him uh, after we get off stream here, see if he can get that. So we can get this up and moving here so you guys can go out and check out great shows like The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The R-Rated Conservative, and The Freckles and Brit Show. Give us a bookmark, and once we are back up and running, head on over, pick up some of our swag, and help us support great creators. All right, looking in at the Dow. Looks like it had a drop in the day, and then it came back up. It actually closed just slightly higher than where it was yesterday, closing at 30723.60. So the chart is there. We'll see what happened throughout the day and see what IBD has to say about that. On the Bitcoin. Bitcoin is at 37,439.90, which means it is having a steady increase again. It's not the major increase that we saw just last week, but it's definitely moving in an upward trajectory. So we will keep watching the Bitcoin, see where that goes, see where that lands, the Dogecoin and everything else that comes along with that. So let's keep an eye on that. All right, reading from Investor's Business Daily. Dow Jones Futures, Apple nears buy point on Apple Car Buzz, but iPhone chipmakers tumble. eBay, PayPal jump from Ed Carson. Dow Jones Futures and S&P 500 Futures climbed slightly Thursday morning, while NASDAQ Futures rose modestly amid Apple Car Buzz. PayPal, eBay, and Apple chipmakers Qualcomm and Corvo headlined earnings, key earnings. The stock market rally on Wednesday held on to strong gains from Monday and Tuesday. President Joe Biden signaled some willingness to compromise on the size of his stimulus bill and how many Americans would receive direct checks. 
Growth stocks didn't fare well, but there were several new breakouts including Pinduoduo, Zoom Info Technologies, Dynatrace, and Farfetch. Short squeeze GME stock, AMC Entertainment, Express, and COS continued to trade heavily. GameStop rose 2.7% on Wednesday, AMC stock rose 15%, Express 5.3%, and COS 28%. But those were generally inside days after huge plunges on Tuesday. The Securities Exchange Commission is probing social media and message boards for signs of fraud in the GME stock. AMC stock and other short squeeze plays, uh, Bloomberg reported. Yeah, we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. GME stock was a little changed early Thursday. On the overnight, Apple stock, which fell last week after its results, rallied amid more reports that Apple car manufacturing deal is near with South Korea's Hyundai Kia. Reports say Apple would tap the South Korean automaker to build its electric autonomous vehicle by 2024 at a Kia factory in Georgia. Apple stock rose 2% in the pre-market, moving towards reclaiming a 138.89 buy point. Well, I wonder if it'll have a bunch of rounded corners and really neat cool colors and all kinds of other stuff to make you feel all safe and warm and that's going to be a millennial purchase, no doubt about it. Well, it seems that millennials do love Hyundais and Kias too, so that's actually no surprise. You remember that weird, was it, no, it was a Nissan, that Nissan Cube that came out and like everybody my age, which was like 24 at the time, wanted to, that was like their dream vehicle at the time. And then they realized they were a piece of crap and you didn't see them again two years later ever again. But it had those smooth, rounded corners on everything and a kind of squarish boxes. Uh, yeah. That tells you everything you need to know about what's going to come out of Apple once they make the Apple car. Uh, meanwhile, three big cap techs were set to move past buy points, but only one was going the right way. Apple iPhone and 5G chipmakers Qualcomm and Corvo beat profit views, but Qualcomm missed on revenue while Corvo narrowly beat. Qualcomm stock and Corvo stock fell sharply, set to knife below buy points. eBay earnings beat views while the outlook was upbeat. eBay stock spiked soon before the open, signaling a breakout. PayPal earnings beat while guidance was in line. PayPal stock is set to hit record high. All right. What's on the futures for the day? Dow futures were 0.1% above fair value. S&P 500 futures advanced 0.2%. NASDAQ 100 futures climbed a half percent. Apple stock is giving a modest lift to the Dow, S&P 500, and NASDAQ futures. Really? You're calling that a modest lift? Because that looks pretty flat to me. Remember... Overnight action in Dow Futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Alright, let's see what MarketWatch has to say. From MarketWatch, Dow S&P set for slight gains and busiest day of their earnings season. From Mark to Camber. Stock futures on Thursday were edging, come on, tentatively higher as investors braced for the busiest day of the fourth quarter earnings, reporting season, and a weekly update on the number of people seeking unemployment benefits amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Futures for the Dow Jones Industrial Average were up 24 points or 0.1% at 3651. S&P 500 index futures were up 7.65 points or 0.2% higher at 383125. NASDAQ 100 futures gained 6450 or a half percent at 13459. 
What's driving the market? The busiest day of earnings and economic reports will be closely watched as investors look for signs that the economy is rebounding from the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite an elevated number of cases and the emergence of new variants of the coronavirus amid the rollout of effective vaccines. In earnings, no fewer than 42 companies are slated to report quarterly results on Thursday, representing the busiest day on the calendar for fourth quarter results. Headliners include Ford Motor and Snapchat parent Snap Incorporated, but include results from the likes of Clorox, Yum Brands, and Merkin Company, which also announced that Kenneth Frazier, its CEO, would be stepping down after 10 years at the helm of the drug company. Meanwhile, weekly jobless uh, benefit claims data for the period ended January 30th are likely to show that initial applications declined to 835,000 last week from 847,000 the week before. So we're still losing almost a million jobs a week, people. According to Economist surveyed by Econoday, one of the reasons for this is that investors and traders usually do not like to trade big ahead of the main event that is taking place tomorrow, the U.S. non-farm payrolls data, wrote Naeem Aslam, chief market analyst at AvaTrade, in a daily research note. So, Jobless is coming out, Ford is coming out with their uh, earnings, Clorox, Taco Bell, they're all coming out here. We're waiting to see what happens with this, and we will see what the charts do, is where this pretty much sums up, so... We're probably going to have some big news as far as the stocks go tomorrow. Let's look into the big news of the day. Everybody's favorite Democratic Socialist representative, the Honorable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, D-Twitch, tweets out yesterday, This is the latest manipulative take on the right, okay, papi? They're manipulating the fact that most people don't know the layout of the Capitol Complex. We were all in the Capitol complex. The attack wasn't just on the dome, okay? The bombs Trump supporters planted surrounded our offices too. Because Jack Posobiec tweeted out, and she took the screenshot of this, AOC wasn't in the Capitol building during her near-death experience. An interesting twist coming into this, and there were some other interesting takes that came along with this as well. I know on Monday we're going to talk about uh, the timing of HB, or I'm sorry, HR 127, which is in the midst of uh, being reviewed and possibly seeing if it could pass right now, which is another interesting thing to watch. But the timing of that, because that came out two days before the world's worst insurrection, the selfie fest at the Capitol. And now this, going out here to try and remind, because, I mean, everybody's forgotten about the Capitol, world's worst insurrection at this point. There are a few people that I know, personally, that still remember it for a very, very good reason. But for the most part, everybody's kind of forgotten about this and moved on at this point. And now we've got the sexual assault that needs to come in here. And the venerable and honorable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, D-Twitch, with the need to come out and remind you that this happened. And she almost died because of this. And this is almost like a sexual assault because she's a survivor. She is a survivor, people. Anyway, let's see what Fox has to say about this. Maybe. If the cursor will move. There it goes. AOC faces backlash as critics point out she wasn't in the Capitol building during the riot. From Sam Dorman. A representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez de Twitch is facing criticism over initial claims she made about the January 6th, world's worst insurrection, 
with many noting she wasn't even in the Capitol when it occurred. The controversy erupted after a New York Congresswoman posted a video which she described the confrontation with Capitol Police at her office, which is located in the larger Capitol complex, but it is not in the Capitol itself, which includes the Dome, the House, and the Senate, and was where many rioters stormed and were seen breaking windows. Her office is located in the Cannon Building, which is accessible through underground tunnels connected to the Capitol as well as via a short stroll down a walkway and across the street. It was also one of the buildings where staff was told to evacuate after suspicious packages were found in the area. Law enforcement found pipe bombs and Molotov cocktails in the vicinity. In response to the incident, the congresswoman said, I did not know if I was going to make it to the end of the day alive. She also accused Senator Ted Cruz, our Texas, of almost having her murdered, touching on accusations that Cruz and others incited the attack through their rhetoric about the election. I can tell you that I had a very close encounter where I thought I was going to die, okay? She said in the video last month. Last month was like five days ago. In her more recent video, she offered an emotional recollection on how she hid behind a bathroom door and heard the police officer break into her office. I thought I was going to die, okay? She said, noting that she didn't initially realize the person trying to enter her office was the police. Well, I mean, all cops are bastards, keep that in mind. Or at least that was the rhetoric that you shoved around all summer. So, yeah, I could understand why you might be a little bit afraid of a police officer. I've never been quieter in my entire life. There is a God. She was actually quiet for a moment. AOC describes Capitol Police officer bursting into her office. Let's uh, have a listen to this. There was no partner, was not yelling, you know, Capitol Police, etc., etc. But then what, but then it didn't feel right. Um, because he was looking at me with a tremendous amount of anger and hostility. And um, things weren't adding up. Like there was no partner there. And there was, no one was yelling. He wasn't yelling like, this is Capitol Police, this is Capitol Police. And he was looking at me in all of this anger and, and hostility. And at first, you know, in, in my brain and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I just came from this super intense experience just now. Maybe I'm reading into this, right? Like. Maybe I'm projecting, um, maybe I'm projecting like something onto him that, that like, maybe I'm just seeing anger, but maybe he's not trying to be angry. Um, but. Okay. I can't listen to that anymore. So, I mean, the breakdown of what she's saying here is of course that the police officer came in and he didn't announce he was a police officer. And then he came in and he didn't announce he was a police officer. And then he came in and he didn't announce he was a police officer. I don't know if you caught that little roundabout that she was doing there, but uh, then he, he came in and he had this stern, firm, angry look on his face because, you know, a bunch of idiots were in the Capitol taking fucking selfies at the time and making his job in, uh, infinitely harder. Which, I mean, if you ask somebody like the venerable, honorable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez de Twitch, what police officers do when they're stern and firm and angry, it's usually that they go find some innocent, unarmed black person. So, 
Yeah, that's that's the video that, of course, she was in hiding behind the door. But, I mean, across the street. Not in the chamber where, I mean, the majority of this was happening here. Now, yes, tensions were high. And yes, the police officers did need to be in there clearing everybody out. But, you know, you're sitting here trying to say that you were on the floor during the vote count. And now it turns out that you're not. And now you're trying to backpedal and retcon this to continue to make yourself the perpetual victim here. To listen to AOC talk, it's, I mean, she thinks that they were in the Capitol chamber trying to kill her directly. So that's what we see from that. Uh, Nancy May says AOC made it clear she didn't know who was at the door. Breathlessly attempts by media to f and fictitious news flames are dangerous. My office is two doors down. Insurrectious never stormed our hallway. Egregious doesn't even begin to cover it. Is there nothing the MSM won't politicize? Let me get the picture up here. Cortez said the rioters actually entered her office, forcing her to take refuge inside her bathroom after legislative director Geraldo Bonilla Chavez told her to run, hide, run, and hide. As members of the mob banged against the door, Ocasio-Cortez believed this was the moment where I thought everything was over. A lot of quietly deleted uh, tweets today over the detail in AOC story that she thought she was hiding from the mob, but it turned out to be Capitol Police. She told it as she experienced it. Sorry, that page doesn't exist. So, yeah, professional victim doesn't even begin to cover it off of this one here. So, that's what we see coming from that. Now, Candace Owens decided that she needed to get into the fray, and, you know, as much as I can't stand Candace Owens, I do falls and strikes. I'm fair enough about this. So, looking back at the tweet that we just looked at here, Candace Owens replies, AOC, or Twitter safety claims to have a policy against targeted harassment. AOC is targeting... 80 million Trump voters with malicious lie that his supporters planted bombs outside her office. This lie invites retaliatory violence against Trump supporters, which absolutely it does. Not only that, and this is the one, this, this lie invites retaliatory legislation against Trump supporters and voters, like a Firearms Registration Act, like a 20,000-page Domestic Terrorism Act. Like camps, where those of us who did vote for the man learn how to focus really, really, really well, far, far away from the rest of society. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're seeing from that. So that's that's where they're at. All right, I've got an op-ed for this one too before we move on into other news because there's a bunch of other news to go with this here. Uh, this is from NBC Opinion. Danielle Campomore, AOC's Capital Instagram video backlash, reveals myth of the perfect assault victim. And this is somebody who's actually kneeling down for AOC too. So, oh, i sorry, it's disrespectful to say AOC. The Honorable, Venerable, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, D-Twitch. On Monday evening, to an audience of as many as 150,000 
Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez detailed her experience during the deadly January 6th Capitol riot. The 31-year-old congresswoman described hiding in a bathroom, convinced she was going to die, and then sheltering in place with Representative Katie Porter. For hours, amid the confusion, she searched for a pair of running shoes in case she had to run for her life. The trauma of that day, intensified by another factor, Ocasio-Cortez revealed, she's a sexual assault survivor. Believe all women. I'm a survivor of sexual assault, she said on Monday during the nearly 90-minute live video. And I haven't told many people that in my life, okay, puppy? But when, when we go through trauma, trauma compounds on each other. And this is the full hour and a half video, so we're not going to go through that one. Because we're not going to sit and listen to AOC for an hour and a half. I'm sorry, the honorable and venerable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez de-twitch. The response was polarized, with many applauding Ocasio-Cortez's bravery, while others predictably attempted to minimize her ordeal. This is masterclass emotional manipulation, Michael Tracy, a so-called roving journalist, tweeted. A genuine political rhetorical skill got a hand it to her. Tracy went on to accuse Ocasio-Cortez of using trauma as a cudgel to demand political compliance. Austin Peterson, another political commentator, tweeted, Jesse Smollett's story was more believable than AOC's. Fox News' commentator Tucker Carlson mocked Ocasio-Cortez on air. And also, freedomscoop.com's Jay Edgar also mocked Ocasio-Cortez on air because he's been doing that since there was an Ocasio-Cortez. That woman, especially a woman of color, would be accused of using her assault as some kind of Machiavellian chess move. It's hardly surprising the hashtag MeToo movement was met with similar backlash when... They said believe all women when it was Christine Blasey Ford going after Brett Kavanaugh, but mysteriously forgot about it and said, oh no, we never said all women when it was Tara Reid. Olympic medalist Jamie Dancher, one of over 260 women to accuse the former doctor for the USA Gymnastics National Team of sexual assault, told US Today Today she was called an attention-seeking whore when she reported the abuse. Whether it's being called a liar or an attention seeker, women know this is the likely price that they will pay for coming forward. Studies have shown the victims consider the stigma that they're likely to face before reporting. So, yeah, this is, this is somebody coming down and saying, well, this, this is a Democrat making the accusation. We have to, we have to believe her. Because it's against those evil Trump supporters. And remember, she was a victim of sexual assault. Yeah, no, this is... I don't even want to begin to know where I go on this. But a lot of deleted tweets tells me that something else was up from this. Alright, let's move into other news. From CNN, Supreme Court delays oral arguments on border wall and asylum rule from Priscilla Alvarez and Ariane DeVogue. The Supreme Court agreed Wednesday to postpone oral arguments in significant cases regarding former President Donald Trump's border wall and a controversial asylum policy. Earlier this week, President Joe Biden's Justice Department asked the Supreme Court to delay the arguments. The Justice Department said Biden has directed a pause in construction so that the administration can undertake an assessment of the legality of the funding and contracting methods used to construct the wall. We're going to have a great wall. It's going to be a great big wall, okay? And it's going to be totally legal and above board. Eh, no, eh, 
Oh, all those court cases. Yeah, we're going to relitigate them, okay? Because I don't know if it was legal or not. But and I need to have the legislation find time to make it illegal. So let's relitigate while they make new laws. The ACLU, Sierra Club, and Southern Border Communities Coalition asked the Supreme Court last year to block the construction of the big, beautiful wall. Only hours into his presidency, Biden took an immediate shot at one of his predecessor's key legacies when he signed a uh, proclamation calling for border wall construction to end. The administration's filing Monday showed how the Biden Justice Department is moving to bring building to a halt as it reviews the former administration's actions. The Biden administration is also beginning to put lawsuits launched under Trump that were intended to acquire private land for the purpose of border wall construction on hold, according to court filings and attorneys. Uh, balls and strikes, I'll give them that one, because you shouldn't be using the courts for eminent domain. That's kind of an asshole move, and you shouldn't be doing that. If you want, if the government wants the land, then the property owner should be entitled to 10 times the property value of the land. That's how eminent domain should work. Not a lawsuit to come on and say, I sued you, okay, so now you're going to give me your land, okay, it's it's my land now, and I'm going to put a big, beautiful border wall. Don't, don't you want a big, beautiful wall on, on the back of your property, okay? It'll be like a fence, except for Uncle Sam is building you your fence, okay? So, yeah, he should be stopping those lawsuits. Absolutely should. In a separate case, the court agreed to uh, Justice Department request to suspend oral arguments in a case that on the Trump-era policy requiring non-Mexican immigrants to remain in Mexico until their next court dates in the U.S. The Department of Homeland Security recently stopped enrollments in the program, marking a step towards ending it entirely. That case is scheduled for March 1st. Thousands of migrants subject to the policy continue to wait in Mexico in dangerous and deplorable conditions. Organizations challenging the so-called Remain in Mexico policy in the lawsuit include the Innovation Law Lab, along with other immigrant rights groups. The Biden administration is set to reverse scores of Trump administration policies. In the short term, Elizabeth Prelogar, Biden's acting solicitor general, is expected to play a key role, managing a wave of potential reversals concerning issues such as immigration, health care, and religion. Two of those three should not be dealt with by the government. <clears throat> so, yeah, he's pretty much going in and trying to cripple all this out here. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Beto O'Rourke plan and started to see some other parts of Wall starting to get tore down. Because, hey, why not? Hey, okay, man. Like, we're going to just, we're going to tear down that wall and I'm going to shred on this totally awesome guitar. While we tear down the wall, because, you know, like, walls are bad. Alright, on other news from CBS, Liz Cheney survives vote to remove her from GOP leadership. I don't fucking understand how. And like I said, if she did this and she kept the support of Wyoming of the people she actually represents, I actually would be in favor of her surviving this. I really would. I would be in favor of her, her maintaining leadership if she still had the faith of the people of Wyoming, but she doesn't. They're working on primarying her. They're working, they tried to recall her, I believe, at some point. 
So they're working on pulling her out of representation. And at that point, no, you shouldn't have leadership in the House. If the people behind you, if the people who you represent have no faith in you, you should not have House leadership. 100% should not. But she still has House leadership. From a, Rebecca Kaplan, House Republicans voted by a large margin on Wednesday to allow uh, Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney to stay on as the GOP conference chairwoman following an hours-long meeting where members aired their grievances over her vote to impeach former President Trump last month. Just 61 Republicans voted to remove Cheney from her post, while 145 voted for her to stay in a vote by secret ballot because, of course, it was secret ballot. Nobody gets to come out and own this one. I've got a feeling if a lot of the constituents knew which one of their representatives voted to keep her in and which ones voted to kick her ass out to the curb, a lot of the people in column A would also be facing primaries coming up. The vote came after Cheney told her Republican colleague she would not apologize for her decision. According to a source familiar with the meeting, she later praised the result as a terrific vote. Well, she shouldn't be apologizing to her colleagues. It's the people. She is a representative of the people. She's a representative of the people of the entire state of Wyoming on top of all of this. So she's got Cheyenne and all the rest of the rural communities to go and talk to. She, that's who she needs to be apologizing to, not her colleagues in Congress. This is a swamp creature. This is, this is the people. This is the person that the populist movement is trying to get out of that office. And she knows it. That's why she voted the way she did. She knows that that's, she's one of them on the chopping block. We're not going to be in a situation where people can pick off any member of leadership, she said after the meeting. It was very resounding an acknowledgement that we need to go forward together. And then we need to go forward in a way that helps us beat back the really dangerous and negative Democratic policies. She entered the meeting Wednesday with the support of both House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Republican Whip Steve Scalise, the two top GOP leaders in the House. People can have a difference of opinion. That is why we are having the discussion about... Liz has the right to vote her conscience. Right, but she doesn't have the right to knife her constituents in the back, McCarthy told reporters during a break in the meeting. This entire government experiment that we had, that we've had since the inception of this country, would work a fuck of a lot better right now if the representatives and the senators were reminded of the fact that they work for the people who elected them to office, not the other way around. And, of course, repealing the 16th would probably help a lot, too. So, Cheney lives to fuck over the people another day. In other news from the House, McCarthy announces no disciplinary actions against Green from Julie Grace Brufke. Yeah, they're going to try and make this woman into the face of the GOP at this point because they need another boogeyman. I actually tweeted that back to her, and of course, no response because I've got 1,300 Twitter followers at this point, so she probably thinks I'm just some sort of fucking troll. But uh, yeah, this is what they're trying to make. The, the mainstream media needs a boogeyman. They can't go after Trump's tweets anymore. They can't go after Trump's statements anymore because, I mean, he's got the office of the former president. For the most part, he's mostly quiet which I'm going to go out on a limb and say that his new legal team came out and said, 
Um, Mr. Former President, you really need to shut the fuck up, okay? I got a feeling that a lot of that came about. But now they're going to go to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and try to make her... They're going to try and say that Marjorie Taylor Greene is the face of every Republican in Congress. So let's see what the Hill has to say. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy announced no disciplinary actions against Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene in a statement released as he met with his caucus. During the meeting, he told members that he did not want to remove Greene from her committee assignments, according to a senior GOP source in the room. In the statement, McCarthy condemned her incendiary remark, but offered no disciplinary action. Past comments from and endorsed by Marjorie Taylor Greene on school shootings, political violence, and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories do not represent the values or beliefs of the House Republican Conference, the statement read. I condemn those comments unequivocally. I condemned them in the past. I continue to condemn them today. The, this House condemned QAnon last Congress and continues to do so today. McCarthy met with Greene on Tuesday, and the GOP leader said he gave her the same message. I made this clear to Marjorie when we met. I also make clear, as a member of Congress, that we have the responsibility to uphold ourselves to a higher standard than how she presented herself as a private citizen. Her past comments now have much greater meaning. Marjorie recognized this in our conversation. I told her, or I hold her to our word, as well as her actions going forward. And that's exactly it. Now, my love-hate relationship with Ben Shapiro... Continuing to go along with this, I, I look back at something like this and I say, okay, well, he's, he's actually probably right on this. Now, there's probably a lot of stuff that I've said in my life. If I run for House, Senate, mayor of my small town, county executive, county board member, anything like that, there's a lot of stuff that's going to surface about me. Because I was a drunk, I was a womanizer. For a long time, I gambled incessantly. I've moved across the country before on a whim. There's a lot of stuff there. But what's important now is, number one, this is not between the United States and Marjorie Taylor Greene, even though the mainstream media is going to try and tell you this is between the United States and Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is between Marjorie Taylor Greene and the people of her district in Georgia. It's for them to decide whether they keep her in office and reelect her next time through Or whether they kick her to the curb because the incendiary remarks that she put out are a step too far. Now, with all the focus on Georgia, I can't believe this hasn't come out previously. Because I'm sure that this would be something that the mainstream media would love to lick their chops over. Except for the fact that, of course, they need to have the boogeyman in there because they thought that they were getting ready to oust Trump. So now they've got the boogeyman in there ready to go. So, no, this... What matters now is what she does on the House floor, how she votes, and the speeches that she makes. And including some of the stuff that she says on Instagram Live while she's walking through the Capitol, not wearing a mask. Not what happened three, four years ago with David Hogg out on the street. Who, I mean, David Hogg is another one because, I mean, he loves to stop and harass people on the street. But he hates it when it's turned back on him. So... Yes, at this point, uh, no disciplinary action against Green. However, the House Democrats have a different story for this. From NBC, House Democrats vote on punishing Representative Marjorie Taylor Green after GOP fails to act. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi blasted 
leader McCarthy referring to his party affiliation as QCA in an apparent reference to the QAnon conspiracy theory. From Dara Gregorian, Alex Moe, and Leigh Ann Caldwell. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said Wednesday that the House would vote Thursday on whether to strip embattled Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments after Republican leader Kevin McCarthy failed to take action against her. I spoke to Leader McCarthy this morning, and it's clear there's no alternative to holding a floor vote on the resolution to remove Representative Green from her committee assignments. Hoyer, D. Maryland, said in a tweet, the Rules Committee will meet this afternoon, and the House will vote on the resolution tomorrow. In a statement, McCarthy said he had spoken to Green and made it clear that as a member of Congress, we have the responsibility to hold ourselves to a higher standard than how she presented herself as a private citizen. And yes, there is a big difference between what you do as a private citizen and what you do as an elected official. But Nancy Pelosi hasn't been a private citizen for so fucking long that she forgets the difference. And the same with Steny Hoyer. He said he condemned Green's earlier statements and made no mention of Green apologizing. McCarthy also complained that Democrats are choosing to raise the temperature by taking the unprecedented step to further their partisan power grab regarding the committee assignments of the other party. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, in a statement, blasted McCarthy's cowardly refusal to act against Green, whom Pelosi described as an anti-Semite. Careful with that one, Nancy. A QAnon adherent and a 9-11 truther. She listed McCarthy's party affiliation as QCA in an apparent reference to the conspiracy theory that Green has supported in the past. And yes, I mean, if you've been in Congress for... 97 years, 4 months, and 3 days, then yes, you probably forget what the difference is between being in Congress and being a private citizen. So, that's what we see for that. We got one briefly here from Newsweek talking about the same situation. Before we go to the other direction, Kevin McCarthy doesn't know what QAnon is, but condemned it in the past from Jim Walker. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has said he doesn't know what QAnon is, despite criticizing the conspiracy theory on cable news in the past and voting to reject the radical belief and its supporters last year. The California Republican told reporters on Wednesday that he didn't even know what QAnon was after the House Republicans met to discuss the future of Representatives Liz Cheney, the GOP conference chair, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, a one-time QAnon supporter with a history of controversial remarks. In a statement yesterday, McCarthy condemned Green's past comments on a school shooting, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, and political violence. But he also said that he was willing to hold her to her word after she recognized that lawmakers had to hold themselves to a higher standards. So, once again, it's the same story over and over again. For the most part, these news outlets just recycle everything. But yeah, they're coming out to try and say, well, McCarthy doesn't know what QAnon is, but he said something about it last month. Oh my God. Cute puke. All right. Going the other direction here, reading from the Daily Wire. House Republicans begin effort to remove Democrat Ilhan Omar from committees. From Ryan Saavedra. Several House Republicans are moving to remove far-left Representative Ilhan Omar from her committee assignments this week after Democrats announced recently they're pushing to remove Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a conspiracy theorist, from her committee assignments. The House is set to consider a measure this week that calls for Taylor Greene, a controversial first-term lawmaker, 
Known for her support of the QAnon conspiracy theory from her assignments on the Education and Labor Committee, Fox News reported. A proposed GOP-backed amendment to that measure calls for Omar, frequently identified as a member of the squad of progressive Democrats, to be removed from her committee assignments. Chad Pergram said that those sponsoring the legislation include Brian Babin of Texas, Jeff Duncan of South Carolina, Jody Heiss of Georgia, Andy Biggs of Arizona, and Ronnie Jackson of Texas. Which, I mean, good on them, because what did, what did Pelosi say? What did I say? Be careful with. Pelosi came out straight out and said, We want to do this because we believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene is an anti-Semite. Well, you've got the biggest anti-Semite in Congress sitting on many of your committees and is one of the best-known members of your chamber. I would pay attention to that before you go out. And, of course, this is the same woman. You know, you call Marjorie Taylor Greene a 9-11 truther. And then you turn around and give another committee assignment to a woman who said, some people did something. Yeah, she's BDS. But if you want to go with anti-Semite, you're probably going to have to remove the entire squad from their committee assignment. For the same reason. For anti-Semitism. Because they are rampant anti-Semites. All four of them. So, well, we'll watch this firework go along. But once again, this is all going to go away once impeachment fest number two goes on. And now they can put Donald Trump back in the news for another six fucking months. All right. From Yahoo News. Rand Paul presses Biden education nominee on trans student athletes. You seem to be afraid to answer. From Mareed McArdle. Senator Rand Paul quizzed President Biden's Education Secretary nominee, Miguel Cardona, on transgender student-athletes during a charged exchange at his confirmation hearing on Wednesday. President Biden signed an executive order on his first day in office calling on schools to allow transgender student-athletes to participate in the sporting events that match their gender, identity rather than their biological gender. Biden's order broadens last year's Supreme Court ruling, Bostock versus Clayton County, which held that LGBT individuals are protected from workplace discrimination based on sex to apply Title IX, the federal law that prohibits sex discrimination in schools, receiving federal money. However, last year, the Education Department's Office of Civil Rights informed the state of Connecticut that allowing transgender students, athletes, to participate in female sports violated the Title IX rights of female students. Cardona is currently Connecticut's Commissioner of Education. If you're confirmed, will you enforce that Office of Civil Rights opinion? Paul asked Cardona at Wednesday's confirmation hearing before the Senate. Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. I understand there are a lot of concerns about that. If confirmed, it's my responsibility and my privilege to make sure that we're following civil rights of all students. That includes activities that they may engage in, high school, or athletics. Cardona responded. What do you think of general boys running in girls' track meets like they've been doing in Connecticut? The Kentucky Republican asked. Cardona again declined to answer, reiterating that it is critically important teachers and schools respect the rights of all students, including students who are transgender. So you don't have a problem, then, of boys running in the girls' track meets, swim meets, you name it. You're okay with boys competing with girls, Paul continued. Respectively, Senator, I believe that I answered the question. No, he didn't. I think the fact that you seem afraid to answer the question 
or you basically do answer the question by saying it's okay without saying it's okay, really in a statement to real problems, we have a disconnect between middle America and what most Americans actually believe. Who are these people that think it's okay? From what planet uh, are you from? Paul said to Cardona. So, yeah, I mean, the guy's obviously not going to answer. And, I mean, in all honesty, I don't think he thinks it's okay. I just think that he's coming down and doing whatever the administration tells him to do. And if it was his own daughter that was at the risk of losing a scholarship, he'd probably be saying a different thing in private. But, of course, you can't say something like that back in public. So, we will see what happens from that. Let's keep going. From Bloomberg. SEC hunts for fraud in social media posts, hyping GameStop. This is, of course, from Ron Helton's favorite politician. Um, also comes by Benjamin Bain and Daniel Avis. <clears throat> Excuse me. U.S. Secur uh, Securities and Exchange Commission investigators are combining social media and message boards. I'm sorry, combing social media and message boards posts for signs that fraud played a role in dizzying stock swings for GameStop Corporation, AMC Entertainment Holdings, and other companies, according to people familiar with the matter. The scrutiny is being done in tandem with a review of trading data to assess whether such posts were part of a manipulative effort to drive up share prices, said the people who requested anonymity because the review wasn't public. The regulator is specifically on the hunt for misinformation meant to improperly tilt the market, the people said. The prevailing narrative is that Wall Street short sellers were caught flat-footed over the past two weeks as retail traders banded together via Reddit message boards and bought up stocks that hedge funds were being were betting against. But some market participants, including the famed short seller Carson Block, have started to speculate that the short squeezes that drove GameStop, AMC, and other stocks to exorbitant heights might also have involved professional investors who either took advantage of the Reddit-fueled frenzy or helped to hype it. There you go. Once again, they're going to try and scare you out of hold the line. And that's what you need to be doing right now. Hold the line. If you really want to punish these people, then hold the line. If you just want to do the next thing that the news tells you to be outraged about, then don't hold the line and sell off. And let these people get richer and richer again. So that's what we see from that. All right. From the Daily Wire. Reporters repeatedly pressed Pasaki to explain Biden calling vast majority of law enforcement decent, honorable people. From John Brown. Members of the White House Press Corps repeatedly asked the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Wednesday to define exactly what President Joe Biden meant when he said the vast majority of law enforcement are decent, honorable people. Fox News reporter Kristen Fisher brought up the topic asking Psaki what Biden meant specifically by the vast majority. Question, if I could, sorry about the uh, president's comments last night as he was paying his respects to the FBI agents that lost their lives or were injured. Um, he said, by and large, the vast majority of these men and women are decent, honorable people. Uh, what did he mean by that, the vast majority part? That's exactly what he meant. Go ahead, Kristen. Question, if I could, sorry about the uh, president's comments last night as he was paying his respects to the FBI agents that lost their lives well yeah that's i mean it's the police officers that work for the federal government though those are all good decent honorable people but i mean all cops are bastards if they're not the ones that we control 
NBC News reporter Kristen Welker later brought up the comments again, asking why Biden felt it necessary to emphasize that most law enforcement are good people. I follow up uh, with a previous question and just circle back to President Biden's comments yesterday. Oh, circle back. In the Oval Office when he said the vast, vast majority of U.S. law enforcement officers were decent, honorable people. Why did he want to, why did he think it was important to stress that the vast majority are? Because I think he believes that the men and women who have been serving our country in a variety of capacities uh, have, uh, you know, been criticized, been, um, some have been threatened. Uh, they're, the roles they're playing have been uh, questioned over the last several years, and he wanted to reiterate his support for uh, the important work they do. It's also why he's visiting the State Department tomorrow. But not to say that all of them are. I mean, he, he made that delineation. Well, I think the point he's making is that despite reports of, you know, individuals in, in different uh, areas uh, who uh, may have done things that are problematic, that the vast majority of men and women serving are in our law enforcement roles, serving uh, in a civil service roles, so serving uh, in uh, roles across government, do vital and essential work for the American people. Biden made his remarks during a Tuesday press uh, briefing in the Oval Office while expressing condolences to the families of FBI agents who were injured or killed while attempting to serve a warrant in Florida, which this follows up perfectly because that's actually I went back and archived the article from yesterday that was hidden behind the ad blocker block. So we'll read that because we'll talk about, about that. Well, let me begin by saying from, from all three of us, the Vice President, the new Secretary of Homeland Security, that our, that our hearts go out to the families of the F, these FBI special agents, two of whom were killed and three of whom were injured today in Florida. I was briefed on this tragedy earlier today, and I knew the FBI is gathering information about how that happened, what happened, but I can only imagine how these families are feeling today. You know, one of the things when you're in a combat zone of the military, you're an FBI agent or a military police officer, Every family just, when they, when they put that shield on and go out in the morning, dreads the possibility of a call, receiving that phone call, and my heart aches for the families. I've not had an opportunity, nor will I try today to contact them. But they put their lives on the line, and that's a hell of a price to pay. And every single day, every single one of these folks, they get up. By and large, the vast, vast majority of these men and women are decent, honorable people who put themselves on the line. And we, we owe them. Yeah, well, I mean, and the author of the 1990, I, I keep bringing that up, but the author of the 1994 crime bill, of course he's going to love the police and the police force. And of course he'll come out and wave the ACAB flag when it's politically convenient for him, when he needs the BLM votes. Of course he's going to come out and say that. And of course he's going to put one of the most ruthless prosecutors in the country up as his vice president based on the color of her skin, because, hey, she kind of looks like some of these people out there that are waving the ACAB flag. Of course he's going to love the police. Of course he's going to love the police. The progressives, they got shoved to the side. It was basically, and I mean, I say the same thing, and I have the same criticism for Mitch McConnell. Because Mitch McConnell does the same thing with Mitch McConnell was, well, 
Thanks for your votes. I, I supported Trump up until it was up until it wasn't politically convenient anymore. And thanks for your votes, guys. Now we're going to go throw them under the bus. Well, Biden is the same thing. Hey, hey, thanks for your votes, but uh, I really don't care about your agenda. But thanks for voting for me. So let's see what happened down here in Florida. Archive from the Miami Herald. Which doesn't let you read their article if you have an ad block on. Two FBI agents killed, three wounded while serving a warrant. Gunman, now dead, shot through the door. From David J. Neal, Charles Rabin, Jay Weaver, and David Oval. The bloodiest day for the FBI in decades. Two veteran agents were shot to death and three others wounded. Tuesday morning when a gunman opened fire from inside his home as they attempted to serve a search warrant at an apartment in Sunrise as part of a child pornography probe. The gunman, not yet identified by the FBI, believed to have monitored the approach of the agents with a doorbell camera. Yeah, well, how do you think that Zoom is going to fare out of this one here? Or not Zoom, uh, Ring. Zoom is the video caller. Ring, how do you think Ring is going to fail for this? And ambushed them through the unopened door with a hail of bullets from an assault-style rifle, law enforcement sources told the Miami Herald. There are several huge holes in the door going outward, one law enforcement official said. The murders of uh, agents Daniel Elfin and Laura Schwarzenberger left the FBI reeling as investigators began piecing together what went wrong in the type of raid that usually unfolds with little intention, but is also fraught with danger for law enforcement. Such raids are commonly conducted in conjunction with heavily armed tactical officers, although Tuesday's operation was not. I'm sure that it wasn't really a raid. I'm sure they were going to knock on the door and say, Hey, we've, we've got a couple questions. Can we, can we come in and talk? FBI Special Agent in Charge, George Pirro, in a statement read Tuesday evening, at the FBI's Miramar Field Office, did not address why the FBI's tactical units was not initially called in to assist before the raid. Well, most likely because they were going in with a warrant to ask a few questions. They weren't going in to raid and steal and grab a bunch of stuff. FBI Miami conducts search warrants almost daily, Pirro said. They are an essential and important part of what we do, and we thoroughly research and meticulously plan for any threats or dangers. The vast majority of these warrants occur without incident. And they do. They probably do. The vast majority of times that a police officer goes to a house, it's going to be, Yes, Mr. Smith, um, can I come in? I've, I've just got a couple questions for you. Can, can we talk about this for a second? That is what 99.9% of FBI raids, or uh, executions of search warrants, I should say, that's what 99% of them are going to be. That's what 99% of police search warrants are going to be. That's what 99% of police interactions are going to be when they come to the door. But that 0.1% is going to be a guy that realizes he's done something wrong, he's about to get caught with it, has nothing left to lose, and opens fire. It happens. You can't prepare for every single one of these. And it would get very, very expensive to bring out the SWAT every time you just walk up to the door and say, Mr. Smith, can I ask you a few questions? So, I mean, F's in the chat for the agents. I'm sure, like I said, they wanted to go in peacefully and go talk to a guy who was violating children's NAP because it was a child pornography ring that was going on. 
F's in the chat for them. But, yeah, I don't think they were expecting to go in there and, you know, raid and steal and bust up a bunch of computers, bust a bunch of windows and anything like that. I'm pretty sure they just went in there. They wanted to sit down and have a conversation with the dude. So, F in the chat for the agents. Let's keep going. Got one out of my home state here from the Green Bay Pre uh, Press Gazette, also archived because they also don't let you read if you have your ad blocker on. What happens if the Wisconsin legislature repeals the state mask mandate? Here are five things to know. This ought to be interesting. Fair warning, I haven't read this one in advance. Republican legislators are speaking, uh, seeking rather to end Wisconsin's mask mandate despite public support for the governor's ordeal, or order rather. Medical associations, school groups, and chambers of commerce are among 53 top groups that registered in favor of keeping the mandate. Well, then, if you're in favor of keeping the mandate, then have the mandate with a little sign in the window outside of your business or your office if you're in a government agency. And then guess what? The people that don't want to wear the mask aren't going to go to your edifice or your office. State law allows the governor to issue emergency orders for 60 days. So far, Tony Evers has been issuing a new order every 60 days to extend the mask requirement. Republican legislators contend Evers has acted outside of his powers as governor with each new extension. The Wisconsin Senate voted January 26th to end the mask requirement. The Assembly was on track to also vote last week, but Assembly leaders pulled back after the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that ending the emergency order could mean Wisconsin loses $49 million a month in federal food assistance. Well, yeah, because the federal government's going to come down and say, well, come on, man, if you don't have this in here, then we're not going to give you money. It's They did the same thing with uh, the drinking age, because that's not a federal thing. But they tied road construction funds, because, God, I fucking hate roads, but they tied road construction funds in with the, uh, the 21 to drink legislation. Federal food assistance money is tied to whether a state has public health emergency in place. Follow the money. Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss believes Republican Senator Steve Nass of Whitewater has found a way to repeal the mandate while keeping the food stamp funding with separate legislation. The Assembly could vote as early as Tuesday to repeal the mask mandate. Evers would not be able to veto the vote to keep his order in place. Here's what you need to know if the mask mandate is repealed. Will the repeal apply everywhere in the state? In place of a statewide appeal, a repeal rather, local mandates will come into effect. That means you, have, you could have a mask mandate in one city and cross city limits and find your neighbor, uh, neighboring city has none. For example, mask mandates in Green Bay and De Pere will go into effect immediately if the state mask mandate is repealed and I will not go to Green Bay or De Pere anymore, ever again. <clears throat> those mandates would apply to indoor settings, public transportation, and in public within those cities' borders. Which is, I mean, that's federalist. I'm okay with that. I won't go to those cities anymore, but I'm okay with them doing that. Can businesses still require customers to wear masks? Yes. Yes, they can. And if you don't want to wear one, then don't do business with that business. Will schools still require masks? That will be on the, uh, the locality. Who enforces the local rules and business requirements? It's the county. 
And what's the latest research on mask wearing? It doesn't work, but it lets you know who is a little sheep that you can trust and who actually thinks for themselves. So that's what could happen if they actually get this to go through, which they kicked it back because the original text of the bill did give too much power back to the governor. So I didn't read the full bill itself, but they decided that they didn't want to run it through as written. And in, in order for a resolution to pass in Wisconsin to override a gover governor's emergency order, then both chambers have to vote on the bill as is. They both have to come to an agreement on it as is. So, like, if Robin Voss, the assembly speaker, looks at this and says, well, this will give the governor too much power if we pass this. So, we want to pass it, but we want to change this in here. Then it wouldn't actually work because, uh, yeah, at that point, both chambers wouldn't be agreeing on the same text of the same bill. So, that's what they need to do. No amendments. They both have to agree on the exact same bill. So, we will see what happens off of this. All right, I got just a couple more here, then we'll do a thing I like, a thing I hate, and head on out of here for the day. From the Daily Mail, why are COVID cases plummeting? New infections have fallen 45% in the U.S. and 30% globally in the past three weeks, but experts say vaccine is not the main driver because only 8% of Americans and 13% worldwide have received their first dose. Well, there are a couple reasons for this. I don't even have to go through the Daily Mail article to tell you what's going on with this, but there are a couple reasons for this. Number one... <clears throat> I hate to say it, but your reservoir, uh, reservoir pool is starting to get tapped. At this point, your reservoir pool of people is starting to get tapped out, which means enough people have had it that they can't get it anymore. Number two, immediately after inauguration, the CDC came out and said, well, we've actually got to go double check in all these tests and we, we can't report false positives anymore. And we've got to, we've got to have separate uh, testing and confirmation because i mean false positives you, you can't do false positives anymore and number three obviously it's politically convenient but we won't talk about that one uh from mary Ki uh, kikato senior health reporter for daily mail as the deadliest month of the coronavirus pandemic in the u.s came to an end the nation is seeing signs of progress including plummeting rates of covid19 cases and hospitalizations and accelerating vaccination rates Daily cases have dropped 45% since the latest peak on January 11th. According to data from COVID-19 Tracking Project, there were 131,341 new cases reported on Wednesday. Hospitalizations have fallen 26% since they peaked most recently on January 12th. The data shows with 96,534 reported in the hospitals as of Wednesday. <clears throat> Excuse me. I talk about the commie coof and I start to get a little bit of a fucking coof. 44 states are seeing a decline in cases, Johns Hopkins data reveals, just uh, with just Alabama, Louisiana, Montana, New Jersey, Oklahoma, and Pennsylvania, and the D.C. on the upswing. In addition, as the country headed into February, COVID-19 hospitalizations fell below 100,000 for the first time in two months. Currently, 92,880 patients are hospitalized with the virus, the lowest figure seen since November 29th and falling nearly 30% from a peak of 132,474 on January 6th, according to the data from the COVID tracking report. So they're just going to throw a bunch of numbers at you. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the point we're getting here, especially as transmissible as they say this is. And as many people came on and said, well, I'm certainly not going to go get the test. You are running out of a host reservoir. Enough people have been infected right now. And once again, they're going to get another coronavirus. And 
as we pointed out since the beginning of this, the common cold is a coronavirus. But fewer people are getting tested, first and foremost. People are getting sick of this. The CDC is saying that we have to double-check for false positives, and the host reservoir is running out. It is. It is. It absolutely is. So, we will see what happens there. From ABC... Wisconsin prosecutors seek Rittenhouse arrest, higher bond, from Todd Richmond. Prosecutors asked a judge on Wednesday for a new arrest warrant for an Illinois teen charged with shooting three people, killing two of them during a protest over police brutality in Wisconsin after he apparently violated his bail conditions. Rittenhouse failed to inform the court of his change of address within 48 hours of moving, Kenosha County prosecutors alleged, in a motion filed with Judge Bruce Schrader. The motion asked Schrader to issue an arrest warrant and increase Rittenhouse's bail by $200,000. Rittenhouse's attorney, Mark Richards, countered in his own motion Wednesday that the death threats have driven Rittenhouse into an undisclosed safe house. Richards said he'd offered to give prosecutors the new address in November if they would keep it secret, but they refused. He said Rittenhouse has stayed in constant contact with him. Well, yeah, if you refuse to keep a safe location under wraps, then fuck you. You don't, you shouldn't have to report. Yeah, I would file an injunction on that. <clears throat> Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rittenhouse is charged with multiple counts, including homicide, in connection with the protests in August in Kenosha. The demonstrations began after a white police officer shot Jacob Blake, who is black, who happens to be black, in the back, during a domestic disturbance, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, that just does... So little justice to what actually fucking happened off of that. Prosecutors allege that Rittenhouse, who was 17 at the time, responded to a malicious call on social media to protect Kenosha businesses from protesters. He opened fire with an assault-style rifle on Joseph Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, and Gage Groyskrutz. <coughs> Excuse me. Rosenbaum and Huber were killed. Groyskrutz was wounded but survived. Rittenhouse, who is white because that fucking matters, fled to his home in Antioch, Illinois, but turned himself into police the next day. This is such a bullshit fucking story, and none of this is what actually happened. Oh my god. Well, we all know what fucking happened with this, so I'm not going to go with this, but Jesus. Oh. This is such a retcon of fucking history. If you're going to do this. The kid is getting death threats at, at home. He had to leave his home. He had to change his permanent residence. The prosecutor said, well, oh, it would be just a shame if the rest of the world knew where he lived again and he could get death threats again. And his attorney said, no, you're not getting his new address at this point. Yes, there's a good reason for that. Reverse the, if this was a domestic assault abuse victim, would you be saying the same thing? And then, of course, the stupid fucking story of, well, he was just an innocent, unarmed black man that was minding his own business. And the evil Rustin Chesky decided that he was going to just put seven bullets right in his back over nothing. No, he admitted he had a knife on the ground for that. He was about to take a car full of kids after he was hopped up on something and drive off with them with a fucking knife in his hand that he'd pulled on officers. Whether you want to talk about that being justified, we can have that conversation. But that is just, oh, well, he happened to get shot in the back. No, that's not what happened. And furthermore, no. Kyle Rittenhouse was retreating. 
He fell down. He was on the ground. Yes, he had a rifle on him. He fell down. He was on the ground. And he pulled up and he used that as his absolute last resort. He did not go in and murder Anthony Huber. Anthony Huber was about to hit him with a fucking skateboard over the head. Gage Groyskrutz pulled a gun on him. So no. None of the, this, this retcon of history that you have going on here. And no, he didn't flee to his home in Antioch, Illinois. He went and tried to turn himself in. The police waved him past because they had no idea what went on. And he just went home. If his house had been just a couple miles north, that wouldn't have been an issue. Sorry, I had to go off on that one. What a fucking disgusting piece of trash this article is. Alright. From Fox Business. And then we'll do a thing I like and a thing that I hate. Parlor CEO John Matsey says he's been terminated by the board. I did not participate in this decision. From Brian Flood. Parlor has terminated CEO John Matsey according to a memo Matsey sent to staffers that has been obtained by Fox News. On January 29, 2021, the Parlor Board, controlled by Rebecca Mercer, decided to immediately terminate my position as CEO of Parlor. I did not participate in this decision, Matsey wrote. I understand that those who now control the company have made some communications to employees and other third parties that have unfortunately created confusion and prompted me to make this public statement. Matsi wrote that over the past few months, he has been met with constant resistance to his original vision for the social media platform following AWS' decision to shut Parler down for failure to moderate egregious content related to the January 6th Capitol riot. So, with that here, it sounds to me like Parler's going to be coming back, but it's going to be a heavily censored version. You're going to get Twitter 2.0, is what it sounds like for there. And then... You're going to have wrong think on there, and you're going to get your ass kicked off. It's probably going to become the next Twitter, except it's not going to take off because nobody's going to go there because it's a bunch of shit. And they kicked out the guy who had the original vision of a free speech platform. All right, and that's going to be it for the news. Last thing we do on a Thursday is a thing that I like and a thing that I hate. And then we head on out of here. Go on with our day. This goes back to something we were talking about back here, but uh, from chafernews.com, Wisconsin Assembly sends vote to repeal mask mandate back to the Senate. The Wisconsin Assembly plans to send the question of whether the state's mask mandate should be repealed back to the state Senate, which voted last week to end the requirement. The Assembly delayed the vote last week amid concerns that repealing Democratic Governor Tony Evers' emergency order tied to the pandemic would result in Wisconsin losing about $50 million a month in federal money for people in financial need. <clears throat> Assembly Speaker Robin Voss says the Assembly will pass a fix for that problem and a resolution repealing the mask mandate that will require the Senate to vote again. So, I like this. I thought this was a little bit longer than this, but uh, this is the thing I like because, I mean, this is... The governor has acted too egregiously for too long, and it's time for the assembly to start to do something and the senate to start to do something it's time well it was time for them to start doing something back in june but i digress on that 
it's time for them to start doing something to try and start to figure out how to get this repealed, how to get this done, and how to get this get on with our fucking lives. You don't need the government to tell you that you must wear a mask. And Tony Evers is enjoying way too much of this. He didn't get too as, as big of a fascistic taste of power like our neighbor Gretchen Whitmer did, but he did get it too much into his head that he can make the puppets dance as much as he wants. And it's time for someone to stand back up to him now, once again, to try and get this into a point where it doesn't screw the people of Wisconsin and food assistance, which a lot of them, given the fact that Evers has shut down large swaths of our business, do need the food assistance. If they can try and legislate this while we while still making sure those families are taken care of, then I'll be it to them. But they're moving on this. They're trying to get this done. They're trying to get this done in a way that doesn't screw American families that were already screwed over by the Evers administration and get us back on with our lives. So I do like this. I like the fact that they're taking the initiative. I want to watch where this goes. I want to see where this goes. And you know what? I just stopped wearing a mask in certain places. Like, if I want to do business with certain places, I will. But I, as I've said before, I frequent businesses that don't enforce the mandate exclusively. So that's what we see. And now for a thing that I hate. <clears throat> From MoneyWise, this came to us via Elaine over in the Discord, which is probably going to be going away in the near future here. I'm still trying to figure out um, Gilded. And it looks like that is a pretty big resource hog on my computer too. So uh, I'm not sure what's going on with that. I'm going to be looking into that a little bit later on here. But from MoneyWise, should your credit score be based on your web history? There it is, guys. Your social credit score is coming. From Ethan Rotberg, experts predict that in the not-too-distant future, your internet habits could affect your credit score and help lenders determine what they offer you. We will let you in on what we know so far about how your online activity could be used to determine how much credit you can get and what the interest rate. There are a few ways to boost your credit score. We all wait to see what the future of lending holds. Lenders could soon be using data from your browsing, search, and purchase history, your digital footprint, to create a more accurate credit score, according to International Monetary Fund researchers. The working paper shows that combining your credit score and your digital footprint further improves loan default predictions. And how exactly would this data be collected and used as part of your credit report? Survey says artificial intelligence and machine learning. I bet five or six banks get sued uh, for this, and they're done. The IMF isn't the only group to ponder such futuristic notions. A 2018 study from the Frankfurt School of Finance Management also looked at lenders using your personal online data in tandem with traditional data from credit bureaus. So what does your online behavior really say about you? Their findings showed the digital footprint allowed some unscorable customers to gain access to credit, while customers with low to medium credit score can either gain or lose access to the credit depending on their digital footprint. Yeah, no, that's actually the opposite of what's going to happen. People are going to look at this and see, oh, hey, Elephant Man looked at freedomscoop.com this week. Yeah, we don't want to give that fucker a loan. He's fucking nuts. He is bad for society. We don't want we want him to be living in a dirt floor shack with a Chevy Cavalier. We can't give him a loan. You would think this is going to go out to try and help people. Fuck you. You don't think this is going to be used in the other way. Yeah. That's what I have to say to that. 
In theory, a lender would be able to see a credit report that uses an algorithm to show a mix of your online shopping and browsing habits, as well as the traditional financial data like your income and payment history. Oh boy. Oh boy. While some people may balk at the idea of lenders having access, <coughs> excuse me, at lenders having access to their personal browsing data, the IMF research points to some advantage to consider. The researchers believe this approach will help borrowers who've been denied by traditional financial institutions, especially during tough times. Yeah, this is. They're trying to paint this in all kinds of big flower language right now to say, oh, well, this is only going to be used to help. We would never use this to hurt people. We would never use this to deny somebody we believe to be socially uh, socially alienating or somebody who, who doesn't fit our norms of, of social polite society. We would never use this for something like that. All this stupid... The newspeak in this is just as Orwellian as this is. So... Look for this coming up in the near future, but yeah, I'm pretty sure a couple banks are going to get sued for this and realize that this is a bad idea because this is a very clear viola uh, violation of equal protection under the law. Very clear. And good. Good for them. As long as we still have a constitution, why didn't we use it to protect ourselves from the government or private industries doing the government's bidding? And that's going to be it for the day here. So we will be back here tomorrow with more contemporary. Looking forward to doing some more of that, seeing what else, uh, what other news comes off of this. This was a good day. And like I said, tomorrow's going to be the last day in the weekly news because, of course, they try to hide some of this stuff on the weekend so you don't see it. But before we get into impeachment day, I want to start taking bets on how long you think that's going to last because we've got to keep all that in the news. So... Looking forward to seeing what they try to push in on the last day. We will see you then. And looking forward to coming and hanging out. And of course, if you are just lurking right now, get that last minute message in. So we can give the special thank you to everybody who chatted in the live chat throughout the week. Looking forward to that as well. Because I always want to give you guys a special thank you for coming in and supporting the show. So we will see you tomorrow, same time. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar. And this is Contemporary. <laughs>